Hello and welcome to Pandemic Parenting episode number 34, I think. I'm recording this again in the parking lot waiting for my son to do band. So as I promised, this episode is going to be all about my dad and my 11 year old was very interested in this because we don't really talk about my dad that much. My dad died when I was 22 years old. He died in back in 2005 and his birthday is April 30th. So that's why I decided I would go ahead and devote this episode to him and to give my 11 year old a little bit of a picture into my life and his parenting and give all of you guys that maybe weren't born in the 80s or early 90s a little bit of a look of what it was like being parented back then. Um, give a little background. Both of my parents had been together my entire life. They did not get married until right before my dad died to mainly for insurance reasons, mainly for medical reasons. So my mom could help make medical decisions with him. My dad did die of lung cancer. He got diagnosed in May and unfortunately it was a very short time. He got diagnosed in May and was dead by September of the same year. He did undergo chemotherapy. He did undergo radiation. He did do all of that. So the the treatment just wasn't effective. When he was diagnosed, he was already in stage four. So um, we kind of knew it was coming. We kind of knew it was happening. I was in grad school at the moment and I was dating my current husband. So my now husband, we were together and dating. And it was quick. It was very, very quick. Um, one of the things I didn't like, and I don't think anybody should stigmatize anybody with cancer, but because he was a smoker my entire life and pretty much since he was a young teenager, that when people found out he had lung cancer, they said, well, it's his fault for smoking. And I really disliked that. I don't care if it is your fault, I don't care if it's like blatantly something you did to yourself. You never ever tell someone who is dying of cancer that if they would have just stopped smoking, they wouldn't have cancer. Or tell their family, well, if he would have just stopped smoking, he never would have died. So I think ne- that that's just bad form. Never, ever, ever do that. So instead of making this a dreary, depressing down podcast, I wanted to make it more of a funnier, lighthearted podcast. I was talking to my mom about this and because it has been 15 years since he died, well, it'll be 16 this year, it's gotten a lot easier to talk about things. It's gotten a lot easier to talk about the funny things and stories that she had never even heard because my dad and I were very close and we often did things by ourselves because my mom being in a wheelchair and being paralyzed, she didn't have the ability to go out and do a lot of things with us. And my dad was very, very active with my life growing up, which surprises people because he was a very gruff looking person. Um, We often compare him to like the Unabomber or to Chong from Teach and Chong. He was, you know, over six feet tall. He was almost six five. He was, you know, full beard dark hair, almost black hair, green eyes, muscular. So he was an intimidating guy and he didn't talk a lot, 
But one of the reasons he didn't like to talk a lot because he had messed up teeth and he was very self-conscious about his teeth. So, but from what strangers experienced of him and from what I experienced of him, it was completely different. He was always quick to tell me he loved me. He was always quick to hug me. He would hold my hand. He would, um, I would sit on his lap a lot. We would cuddle. It was, I didn't experience like the scary that people said he was. I experienced the child in some of the stories. He'll, some of the stories you will, you know, you're like, damn, he's acting like a child. He was almost like a playmate. He was very young at heart. He would do things with me. He was a lot of times like an older brother because he would do shithead stuff too. And again, you'll hear that too. But um, but from a very young age, it was me and him. We did so much stuff together. Uh, and again, a lot of it was because my mom couldn't. Um, I was talking with my mom about going to the gun store with my dad. And this is funny because the gun store is very similar to the bathroom stuff. And I'll tell you about the bathroom stuff too. But my dad was an avid hunter, avid outdoorsman. He would take me on hikes. We would go hunting. We would go to like gun shows. We would go to a gun store. There was a gun store here and it was like in a shadier part of town. But we'd go to it. And every time we went, my dad would make me hold on to the belt loops of his pants this is when I was younger, of course, not when like a 16 year old's not doing this, but like a four, five, six, seven year old, he would make me hold on to the belt loops of his pants. So I wouldn't touch anything sharp, pointy or deadly. And so he always knew where I was at the, and I was a compliant child. I honestly, I would do anything to get to spend time with him. So he'd be like, hold the belt loops of my pants while I walk through the gun store. And he'd be like looking at guns. He'd be like, um, you know, getting knives out and looking at knives. And the whole time he's talking to the guys behind the counter and I'm behind him holding the belt loops of his pants. So, um, it was, he was also the person that bought me my first gun when I was 21. And before I turned 21, he would buy me shiny, pretty knives that I liked at the stores. So like butterfly knives and, um, all of that. He was one of the first people to buy me weapons of, I guess, sorts um throwing stars stuff like that stuff that we could play around with the now the bathroom story was one that um, my mom had no idea so my dad being this big gruff guy um not talking full beard taller bigger guy was often intimidating I would often see like women especially would veer away from him or look at him weird that he has a small child with him especially a small little girl with him but anytime he would take me anywhere which he did take me a lot of places by himself he didn't let me go into the women's bathroom by myself I don't think I went into the women's bathroom by myself until I was like eight so but he couldn't go into the women's bathroom and back then in the 80s and early 90s there were no family bathrooms. There were not unisex bathrooms. So he would always have to take me into the men's bathroom. And when he would go in there, he would cover my face with his hand so I couldn't see anything, walk in the men's bathroom, and he would say, you know, little girl coming in. And he would put me in the stall and shut the door and hold the door closed and not lock it because I obviously couldn't lock it at a really young age. And all I'm like looking back at this as an adult, if I was 
you know, using the bathroom and I see this huge guy come in with this little girl with his hand over her face and his hand was like the size of my face. So he covered my entire face, not just my eyes, over her entire face, leading her in to the bathroom stalls and then shoving her in the stall and holding the door shut or standing in front of the door because a lot of times there were no stall doors. So if there was no stall door, he would stand and block the door while I went to the bathroom. And um, I think like I'd freak out. I'm like, why is this guy kidnapping this child? Why does the, you know, it, and like sometimes he would pick me up off the floor and physically carry me into the bathroom because the floors were disgusting. And, um, or he would hold me up so I could wash my hands in the sink and everything. And I'm just like looking back at that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I would have thought this guy was kidnapping a child, you know, walking her into the men's bathroom with his hand over her face. I was always compliant. I never fought him. I'm looking back. I'm like, oh my God, if I would have fought him, people would have thought he was kidnapping me. If I would have been like just a complete shithead and been like, I don't want to go to the bathroom. I don't need to go to the bathroom. People would have seriously thought he was kidnapping me. But, um, no, I remember him doing this from very young ages. Like I remember the gun stores and going in there and having to hold on to his belt loops. Um, anywhere he took me that, especially when I was very, very young, I always had to hold on to his belt loops. We did a lot of like the circuit of the gun store, Kay's merchandise, if you guys remember that, which was a very like outdoorsy store. So, um, we do stuff like that. The when I got a little older, granted, even small, he would still take me fishing and hunting and hiking in the woods and everything. And he wouldn't baby me, he would just expect me to keep up, even at a very young age. I remember being probably around my eight year old's age, so I was between eight and ten, and we were mushroom hunting. And for those of you not from the Midwest, morel mushrooms are a kind of a big deal here. And we were mushroom hunting for morel mushrooms and we were illegally doing it. Not that it's illegal to hunt for morel mushrooms, but we were illegally doing it because we were doing it on someone else's property. There was, um, where I grew up, there was a road called Well Road and there was a bunch of woods on either side. And the closer you got to the river, the, the more likely you were to find mushrooms under dead trees and whatnot. So we would go there, but somebody, it was private land. Somebody owned this land and we didn't have their permission to be on their land hunting for morel mushrooms. So my dad would put a red baseball cap on me so he could see me in the woods. And he'd be like, okay, go look for the mushrooms. You know what to do. You know what to look for. So I would know what to look for. And, you know, I'm like pulling up logs and kicking around brush and looking for deer poop because mushrooms grow around that and I'm doing all this I'm walking around I still have my red hat on so he knows where I am but he is not with me he has walked away because according to his mind why do we need two people to search in the same spot that's just counterproductive so he's you know he is not wearing anything red and he probably has camo on because a grand majority of his closet was either beer shirts or camo. So um, he was probably not easy to spot, but he was far away from me. And I just remember before he left me, he was like, if you hear gunshots, run to the truck. So, um, and again, I'm fairly small, very, fairly young walking around the woods. There, this is not woods where there's a trail. There's no path. Um, 
the you kind of have to have a basic knowledge of where said truck is and not get turned around and I don't know if that says that he had a lot of faith in me and my ability to find my way out of the woods on my own or if he was just like you know not that attached to his only child but he walked off left me there and uh I just continued hunting for morel mushrooms I had my own bag he had his own bag I usually found more because I was closer to the ground but the I tended not to venture too far from where I thought the truck was because I was consistently scared that some farmer is going to run out with a shotgun and start shooting at us and my dad never did anything to dissuade that fear every time we went mushroom hunting he's like so if you hear anybody you need to run back to the truck and if I'm not there you need to lay down in the bed so nobody can see you so yeah um that you know my early child, like my, I joke with my husband because he's like, oh, I'm so outdoorsy. I did Boy Scouts. I love to go hiking. We went and did the stupid Philmont in um, New Mexico where they like live off granola bars for two weeks and poop in holes. And he's like, I'm so outdoorsy. I can do all this. And I'm like, my dad dropped me in the woods when I was like eight and told me to run if I hear gunshots. I'm going to go with the fact that I may be outdoorsy too. You know, I wasn't doing anything officially. I wasn't taught to make knots or make fires or anything, but I was taught run if I hear gunshots. So I think that should be considered also outdoorsy. Um, but like, and don't like, I don't want to get the picture out there that we only did things that my dad liked. Granted, honestly, again, I would have done anything just to be with him and get out of the house and do stuff. So I, I was a tag along. I was a tag along child. It's like, oh, oh, you're going to the grocery store. I'll go to the grocery store. Oh, you're going to the gun shop. I'll go to the gun shop. Oh, you're going to go illegally hunt for mushrooms in the woods. Okay. I'll go illegally hunt for mushrooms in the woods. You're going to go fishing. I'll go fishing with you. Um, and again, at a very young age, I was more than eager to do, to do any of this. And when I would go fishing with him, and those of you that know me as an adult, my attention span is shit. Like, I got super bored fishing. Like, my dad could sit there for hours. And again, this is pre-smartphone, guys. This is pre-cell phone. He would sit there for hours, hours, and just look at the fish and look at the bobber. And I was a chatterbox. I was like, you know, and I got so bored. So he learned to adjust. So instead of getting mad at me for being irritating and jumping around and not being able to stay in one spot and not doing what he wanted me to do, instead of getting mad at me for that, instead of telling me, you know, sit down, be quiet, this is what we're supposed to do, he got an extra bucket of minnows. So he would often fish with minnows. He preferred minnows over worms. I don't know why. Maybe they're less icky. I don't know. But he would get a bucket of minnows for himself and he would get an extra bucket of minnows for me. And I would spend hours playing with these poor little minnows until they died. And when they died, he would put them on the hook. And But he knew what to keep me active. Or if we were somewhere that had a lot of tadpoles, he would swoop a bucket in and scoop up a bunch of tadpoles. And I could look at the tadpoles and play with the tadpoles while he was fishing. So he gave me something to do while he was fishing instead of yelling at me or telling me, you know, I need to sit down and be quiet. 
you know, I, he gave me a fishing pole. I got to fish too. I usually just spent the whole time casting because again, I was bored and I need high activity. I've always needed high activity. I run better if I'm slightly stressed in high activity. So, and it would drive him nuts because my tiny little Snoopy cartoon pole would end up catching fish and I'd be off somewhere not paying attention. And a lot of times when we would go fishing, we would go fishing on places that did have trails and stuff. And he's like, well, go walk the trails and come back. So he let an eight-year-old walk around the woods by herself. And I'm pretty sure I was even younger than that, walking around the woods by myself while he fished. He had full confidence that he could find me or I could find myself. Again, this is pre-cell phone. This is pre-GPS tracking your kids. He had no idea where I was. So, yeah. But we would also do things I liked. He would take me roller skating. I loved to roller skate. I am about as athletic as Bambi on ice, but I loved roller skating. And he loved roller skating and he loved showing off roller skating. He would skate backwards. He would skate circles around me. Um, He would run by me really fast on skates and then he would knock me over and laugh. And one of the funny things about my dad's laugh, and I, to this day, can physically hear it in my soul was he would like do a squeak laugh and his shoulders would bounce up and down and he'd be like it 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 with his shoulders bouncing up and down and I still remember that so deeply in my soul and he thought it was so hilarious to skate by me and then knock me over and like I had a well-meaning mother step in and yell at him for knocking down this child like why do you keep knocking these kids down that's so unfair and it was like that's my dad (laughs) and she was kind of off put that you know this man's knocking his own child down and you know he wasn't pushing me hard or anything he was just knocking me off balance because again my balance was shit and but it also taught me to be better at roller skating and I remember, I not to toot my own horn, but you know, all those kids out there getting back into roller skating, just saying I might have to show my kids a couple things. But the first time I won a shoot the duck contest and shoot the duck is when you get down on one foot and you put your other foot in front of you and whoever can keep going the longest without falling over wins. And the skating rinks would always do like shoot the duck, four corners, limbo, um, all of that jumping and the when I won one and I was so ridiculously excited that I won one and my dad was very happy for me that I won it and not that I won the competition because he wasn't competitive in that way but that I was able to do something I had been trying to do because I had been trying to do the shoot the duck for a very long time and he wouldn't teach me how to do something he would expect me to learn it through osmosis. So like he didn't teach me how to do shoot the duck. He didn't teach me how to skate backwards. He didn't teach me how to skate without picking up my feet. I just had to watch him do it. So I'd watch him skate, watch him do it without picking up his feet. And then I would figure out how to do it eventually. This was the same with swimming. He loved to take me swimming. And when I was younger, Swimming was a mandatory, I had to have swimming lessons because I almost drowned in a family friend's pool. And he, my dad pulled me out of the pool when I was going under. And so that was scary enough that 
swimming lessons were mandatory. We had to do swimming lessons. So I did swimming lessons and that's why swimming lessons are mandatory in my house. I had a close call with Lucas a couple years ago in a friend's pool and it was like, nope, everybody must do swimming lessons. So I did swimming lessons at a very young age. I think I started in preschool doing swimming lessons and I was going off the diving board by the time I was eight and swimming by myself. So I was fine. I'm, I'm a fairly decent swimmer and my dad was a great swimmer, great diver. He did teach me how to dive and do tricks and stuff off the diving board because he was always doing that. But he was doing it to show off because, again, he was a big kid. So the town next to the town that I grew up in had a swimming pool. And we would always go there. And my dad would get home from work and be like, do you want to go to the swimming pool? Or on the weekends, hey, do you want to go to the swimming pool? I'm like, okay, cool. We'll go to the swimming pool. That's great. I loved the swimming pool. My dad loved the swimming pool. We'd, you know, have fun there. And my dad had kind of like groupies at the swimming pool. A lot of the younger guys, so the guys my age and a little older, really admired him. They wanted to do the tricks off the diving board like he did. They wanted to swim around like he did. Um, he was a fish. He would do like flips and dives and everything off the diving board. And... But he had no fucking idea where I was at this pool. Like, I don't know if he just had a lot of faith in the teenage lifeguards, if he had faith in my ability to swim. He had no idea what I was doing at the pool because he was doing his own thing. It was more like, we rode together and then we're going to go back home together. Uh, when all the kids would get together and play, like, sharks and minnows or um, have, like, competitions and races and stuff he would join in so when you would this was a fairly it was a big pool but it was a fairly small town so there wasn't like a lot of people in the, it wasn't like a crowded pool we can get together and have like everybody participate and everybody have fun so we were like we jump off the diving board and race to the other side of the pool and see whoever gets there first wins and my dad would participate with the kids with the teenagers, he would race with them and he would make me participate with the teenagers. And I wasn't a teenager. I was a lot younger than a teenager. And I was still participating with the teenagers because he was making me earn my, you know, earn my keep, so to speak. But I did. And I held my own against the teenagers. And when we play like sharks and minnows, and that's where I don't know if you've ever played like spiders and flies in PE or something where people are spiders and they have to catch all the flies. Well, that's the same with sharks and minnows, but it's in the pool. My dad, being the ever-loving parent, would play sharks and minnows, and he usually volunteered to be the shark, and he would grab my legs from underwater and pull me down, just like yank me down really quick, which is terrifying, and um, he was just plucking people like jaws, plucking people from underneath, and so he would play those games with us. And he would always play games. He was always willing in, to join in on the game, especially if it was a game he knew he could win. He would often take me hiking and on trips by just me and him. We loved going to southern Illinois to like Giant City, to the Shawnee National Forest. And one time we went to the Shawnee National Forest. And the one and only time he ever took me tent camping, he food poisoned me. <laughs> um, again... My husband's the, I can light fires, I can tie knots, tent camping, rah, rah, rah. And I'm like the, hey, there's a zombie apocalypse. I'm not going to die, outdoorsy person. My dad had never taken me tent camping before, never. In fact, we had to go out and buy a tent just for this. And 
he decided that we were going to, you know, use a campfire and we we're going to cook our dinner on the campfire and do all of this stuff. This is what we were going to do. And we went and he couldn't get the fire started. He couldn't get it, couldn't get it, couldn't get it, the fire started. So he poured citronella candle wax on the fire to get it to start. And then he proceeded to cook my hot dogs. He did not get food poisoning because he ate his hot dogs raw. And he'd always eaten his hot dogs raw. Like my entire life, I'd always seen him eat raw hot dogs. So he was just eating raw hot dogs. But he cooked my hot dogs on the citronella fire of poison. And roughly an hour later, puked my brains out all over the tent. And my dad did never, ever, ever did well with vomit. He could handle blood. He never did well with vomit. And... His solution was packed everything up, threw the tent away, and drove home in the middle of the night, which is like five and a half hours from Giant City because he didn't want to deal with me puking everywhere. Now, this was the middle of the night. We drove around like East St. Louis area, all this stuff to get home. My dad, this big, gruff, burly man was singing to the radio and he never sings to the radio. He never sang to the radio if he thought others could hear him. He was not the karaoke guy. He was not the radio guy. He never did this if he thought others could hear him, but he thought I was sound asleep. And I remember knowing, you know, I need to stay asleep so I can hear this, so I can hear him sing. And he sang and sang all the way home. And he never knew I heard him singing because he never sang publicly. And that was a special memory for me that I snuck and heard him sing. And the last memory I will stop with because I have to go pick up my 11-year-old from his band practice is when I was 16 years old, my dad had a John boat, which is a smaller fishing boat. And we loved going to a local lake that stayed warm. And... He would take me out on the John boat with him. And, but again, remember, my dad it was an overgrown child and a bit of a snot at that. And he told me, you know, I think we're stuck on something. Can you look over the side of the boat? Because I would, I always helped him dock and undock the boat and get it on and off the trailer. And if we got stuck on stuff, I'd help him get it unstuck. So he's like, I think we're stuck on something. Can you look over the side of the boat? So I was like, okay, fine. You know, I'm, I'm looking over the side of the boat. He pushes me in head first into the middle of the freaking lake. This is a huge lake. Head first into the lake. And he is laughing so hard. He is drooling. It is, he thought that this was the funniest thing that ever happened in his entire life. It was crazy. I lost a shoe. Um, so when I got back in the boat, I only had one tennis shoe on. And again, he's dying laughing. And he's like, okay, well, you know, we'll stop at Walmart because the Walmart was close to the lake. We'll stop at Walmart. You can get a pair of flip-flops until we get home and then you can get another, you know, he's dying. And so we get to Walmart, we get back, you know, I'm, I'm one shoed helping him get this boat on the trailer. I'm still doing the job I'm supposed to do. He is still laughing. He's laughing all the way to Walmart. We get to Walmart. He's still laughing. He's laughing so hard. He said he can't go in with me. So I'm walking in soggy. I am dripping. I've been in a lake. I have one squishy shoe on. I take my shoe off and I throw it at him because, you know, that's what you do to older shithead brothers. And I throw my shoe at him and he's like, here, you know, he gives me $5. Here, get full flops. So I'm like, are you kidding me? 
he and again he's still laughing he's smiling and whenever he'd laugh or smile his eyes always lit up so his eyes are twinkling at me he's laughing at me and I'm stomping into this Walmart barefoot going straight to the shoe section and again I'm still dripping lake water go to the shoe section buy a pair of flip-flops walk back out and he's gone he had left me I was like are you kidding me and thank God I love this man with my entire heart because he left me and I go out and I'm like looking everywhere, looking everywhere, looking everywhere. I can't find him. I'm stomping around. He had left me and went to McDonald's and got food and was bringing it back and he pulls up and he's laughing and laughing and this is pre-cell phone. I didn't have any way to get a hold of anybody. This was way far away from my home and he's dying because I was like you left me and he's like I'm here I came back to get you he brought me McDonald's as a peace offering um granted I never held it against him he took me to get my first tattoo when I the day of my 18th birthday he took me to get my first tattoo we've always had a very tight relationship and I'm kind of sad that my kids will never get to experience being shoved face first into a lake but I think, and I hope this makes my 11-year-old happy that I told him some stories about his grandpa since he never got to know him. And I see a lot of my three-year-old. I see a lot of my dad and my three-year-old, which is kind of funny. And her eyes twinkle when she smiles. So next week, I'm going to talk about the freakish April snowstorm we're getting and how my son crossed from Cub Scouts to Boy Scouts.